Hi, everybody, and welcome to PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops, where we talk all things winter maintenance. I'm Rick Nelson, Ashto's PSYCOP coordinator. As I like to do before every episode, it's important to recognize all the state DOTs who show their support for the PSYCOP program through their voluntary contributions. Those contributions keep the program and products like this podcast alive and kicking. If you've been listening along to past episodes of PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops, you know we've been expanding the discussion of the top 10 things for a world-class winter maintenance program. One of those top 10 is using sustainable winter maintenance practices. When thinking about winter maintenance sustainability, I couldn't think of two better guys to join me in the discussion than Mark DeVries and Wilf Nixon. Not only are these two gents been longtime members of the PSYCOP Steering Committee, but both are and have been active with APWA's Snow and Ice Subcommittee. So without further introduction, let's talk sustainability with Mark DeVries and Wilf Nixon. So on this episode of uh, PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops, we've got uh, Mark DeVries, formerly of McHenry County, uh, was now with Visala, and Wilf Nixon, uh, also formerly of uh, the University of Iowa and now with the Salt Institute. Welcome, guys, to PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops. Thanks for having us. You know, one of the, one of the interesting things is, you know, you come from your different uh, backgrounds, but uh, I think most importantly is you've both been extremely uh, active in APWA's uh, winter maintenance committee. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. Yep. So, so, Mark, tell us a little bit about, uh, you actually were the chair of the committee for a while, right? I was, yes. Um, I was actually chair for about nine years. Um, the committee is a subcommittee in APWA, and what that means is we're actually a division, if you will, or a subcommittee of the transportation committee. Um, as a subcommittee, we have a little more flexibility than some of the regular technical committees that are part of APWA. Um, so we're made up of snow and ice professionals from all over North America, and that helps us in bringing the right people to the table to uh, be part of the committee and be active in the committee and bring uh, th- their, their different experiences to the committee as well. Uh, the committee itself, the, the primary focus, I would say, is education, education to members, but also education to help the industry. Um, and, and to that end, the committee works with hand in hand with each other and and with the APWA association to come out with things and work with other partners as well to produce things that will actually help the industry from an educational standpoint. And I think you guys are also very well known for the different uh, snow and ice conferences and workshops and and things that you all put on. Right. Yeah, we we have um, every year the APWA does the North American Snow Conference. They move it around North America. Uh, Last year, in 2017, it was in Des Moines, and this year, in 2018, it'll be in Indianapolis. That's a four-day event. It starts on the Sunday, it ends on the Wednesday. It has an excellent trade show that goes along with it, so people can see the latest and greatest equipment out there and do a certain amount of tire kicking, which is pretty important. Mm -hmm. And there are educational sessions all the way through, a series of different formats. We have a day-long workshop, for example, on this Sunday, which is our Winter Maintenance Supervisor Certificate Program. And in total, 
since we introduced that. When was that, Mark? Eight years ago? Um, yes, the year that we were up in Spokane. Yeah. And um, that, that was the first year that we put it on. And it, it's held traditionally at the Snow Conference on a Sunday. And I'll be honest, we were hoping we would have 50 people. And we filled the auditorium with over 200 people. So it was an amazing start to it. And it's actually progressed from there. Right. We've now had well over 3,000 people take that day-long training. Uh, it includes testing uh, throughout the day, so it's not just sit there and fall asleep. We, we require that people can at least answer some, some basic questions that are a function of what we've covered uh, in the class. So that, I think, is probably the uh, jewel in the crown, wouldn't you say, of the subcommittee, Mark? It's certainly one of them. I mean, the subcommittee, again, as we were talking about, we're definitely involved in the conference itself. So one one of the things that we traditionally do is help determine what those educational should be, everything from fundamentals that are needed all the way to advanced classes. Um, So we're we're part of the system that helps bring those educational sessions forward. Um, We all participate in those sessions as well. So the people that are on this committee are definitely involved in that. Certainly the the certificate program is one of the the great uh, advancements and and I would say one of the great achievements of this committee. But there are others. Um, we, we, We certainly have things where we're producing articles for magazines where um, producing things like salt brine fact sheets and, and flow charts and things that are practical for agencies when they get asked by the media or the public um, what they what they will be doing or what they should be doing and, and explaining things, that helps them quite a bit as well. Um, we have a, an award system. So the APWA Excellence in Snow and Ice Award um, is something that came out of this committee as well. So the committee is very active and, and there, there's many more things, but those would be yeah. some of the highlights. Well, so so on, on this episode of Psychop Talks Winter Ops, we want to to do a little bit of a, a deeper dive. You know, when we polled the maintenance community and, and found out what the the ten most important things uh, they would need to have to, to have a world class winter maintenance program, of course, one of the things that that came right up to the top uh, deals with. Um, Utilizing sustainable winter maintenance practices—it's—it's—it's it's, it's sort of on everybody's mind, and um, uh, we want to—we want to talk a little bit about that uh, today on, on this episode. And uh, the the seven things that uh, really are important to consider uh, when you're thinking about this uh, sustainability question—you um, know, we. We, uh, the, we, the three of us, really, when, when we were together at one of our meetings many years ago, uh, we, we sat down at a table a lot like this one with an open computer and, and tried to, to figure out just what exactly sustainability means. And, and from that exercise many years ago, uh, it would be interesting to, to hear what you think uh, sustainability is now after it's had a little bit of time to mature. What does sustainability mean? Well, that's... It is a wonderful word because it's it's what I consider a, a Humpty Dumpty word. Humpty Tum- Dumpty famously said in one of Lewis Carroll's books that words mean whatever he wants them to mean. And, and the same, I think, is true of sustainability. It can mean whatever the speaker wishes it to mean. That's a problem. 
because then how do you build sustainable practice into your program if you don't know what it is? So one of the key things is, is digging into the literature and figuring out how does all this stuff, and there is a lot written about it, not necessarily a lot useful written about it, but a lot written about it, that you know gives you all these different ideas. And we found, I think, that probably the most useful approach for us in thinking about this was the three-legged stool or sometimes it's called the triple bottom line or whatever, where you're trying to balance economic issues, social issues, and environmental issues. I think probably the biggest mistake that people make when they think about sustainability is they say, it's just the environment, and it's not. Yeah, a lot of people, to a lot of people, sustainability is all about the environment. And it's not, and I... I'm probably uh, a bit of a pain when it comes to listening to presentations about sustainability. If they take that tack, then the first question is, well, you've considered one leg of sustainability. What about the economic and social issues? You didn't cover those. How does your approach bring these in? And actually, in winter maintenance, it is, it is beautifully balanced. It's a great example of those three things, the economic thing, if you're going to do winter maintenance, it's going to cost you money. And how much winter maintenance you get is going to be a function of the size of your budget. Your social driving factors are going to be primarily mobility and safety. And you have to, with guidance from our political masters, we have to reflect the levels of mobility and safety that are deemed desirable for a given community. And then you want to do all that with due care for the environment. And that's the the interesting balancing act that people strive to to follow, I think. Yeah, I, I call it the uh, dynamic tension uh, between those three things. And, and, and in fact, uh, you know, just like a, a rubber band pulling on, on each of those three legs... Uh, it can change over time. Yes. Know, d- again, like you say, depending on uh, the political masters or or uh, what's happening uh, at the time. Yeah. And I, I think one of the interesting things that we are seeing in the winter maintenance community on that social aspect is expectations for level of service from the public are rising all the time. And it's in large part... Well... It reflects societal change. We all want uh, packages that we order online to be delivered in two days, you know, free. And you have to have a, a functioning road system to do that. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's, let's dive into these seven things uh, that, that uh, our listeners really need to consider when uh, pondering this idea of, of using sustainable winter maintenance practices. And, and the first one uh, deals with engaging the stakeholders. Engaging the stakeholders is, is a really important element, just as you had mentioned, Wilf. It, it reflects uh, what society anticipates and expects and uh, what you can afford and, and the environment that you're working in. So let's, let's talk about that one just a little bit. I think it's the tough one. 
So I'm going to have yeah, my concert. Well, <laughs> it, it, it certainly can be a tough one. I mean, you've got to find out who those stakeholders are, and you've got to meet with them. And sometimes those are not traditional things. Those are, and and without using the word too too bluntly, sometimes they're opponents, and and that can be that can be challenging. Um, you know, if you were going to sit down with budget people is one thing, but the the, the societal thing. First off. Do we think we know what they want, or have we asked them what they want, or how, how do we actually derive that information from them? You've got to meet with them, and you've got to get at the table and talk about these things. And that, that I think, up until recently has been a little more rare. Um, certainly, you know, trying to engage those stakeholders is, is something that takes effort and uh, in, in order to do that. And, and it may take actually systems that you're not currently using. It may be systems where you actually have to do surveys or something like that. And uh, so I think engaging engaging the other stakeholders will be a challenge just from the standpoint of these aren't necessarily the traditional things that you've been doing. Right. And then within that, we've talked about this before too, it's finding the right people too because in any of these other uh, elements, it, it's getting people that will understand what you do and making sure that they understand why you need to do it and then also being aware enough to understand what their needs are and, and make sure that you're open to the fact that it isn't just you saying this is the way it's going to be or they're right. saying this is the yeah. way it's going to be. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> sometimes you get wrapped up in this. It's like, okay, well, I'm, I have a driver's license. I'm part of the community. Obviously, my values are the same as everyone else in yeah. the community. Right. So. I, I think um, to continue on that, identifying the stakeholders is something we are probably not terribly good at. Uh, for example, we might think that the key stakeholders are whichever environmental group is worried about the health of such and such a watershed. And they are indeed one of the stakeholder groups. But another stakeholder group would, for example, be the Chamber of Commerce. And a third might be some sort of taxpayers association. Uh, you, you have to bring in those other elements as well. And unless you, you are specific, and I'm sure there are others, uh, you, you could run off a whole list, emergency services in a city, for example, the school district, they've got to get their buses around, um, whatever it may be. We, we, we have to learn to cast a wider net rather than a narrow one. Right. Now, okay, so that, and that sort of leads us to the second uh, thing that we, we definitely need to consider, and, and that's when you're dealing with sustainable practices, one size does not fit all. Absolutely. And, and we see this, you know, part of the outcome from the stakeholder input should be some clear idea of level of service, what people expect on which roads. And it's very variable across the country. Um, we know in the Chicagoland area, near where Mark lives, the expectation is the roads will be bare and wet. And they, I think there are many people whose expectations, rather unreasonably, are that they'll be bare and wet all the way through a storm. Uh, when you, you get a little further into Iowa, um, many agencies, it's perfectly acceptable to have an inch of snow on the ground. If a snowstorm is less than an inch, you don't go and do the residential streets. Then you go out to Colorado, 
and in Fort Collins, for example, they don't plough their residential streets unless they have more than eight inches of snow. Well, that clearly wouldn't work in Chicago, but it works just fine in Colorado. Although we are hearing there is a trend to improve those levels of service. Yeah, and, and again, I think you will look at different agencies and don't just think about it on size. You know, what happens here is these are very often political decisions that have been made and one town compared to the next town might be completely different. And, and you know, there, there can be a lot of reasons and until you actually look into what those reasons are. Unfortunately for us, the users of our roadway systems, they, they definitely go, well, why, why is that town over there bare and wet and this one is white? And, and quite honestly, you might think they're not doing their job when in fact they're doing exactly what they're required to do in meeting their levels of service compared to the other one that could be meeting their levels of service. So, Right, and so, so that brings up number three. And, and number three is uh, th- that these uh, sustainable practices should be uh, systemic and system-wide. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, that, that goes to the, 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 the agency that, that's working on it, you know, a, a, something that's system-wide for... Uh, a state DOT covering the whole state certainly would be a bit different than something that's system-wide for a county or a city. Yes, I, I, I think part of where we're getting at here, traditionally sustainability was part of the planning process. It was seen as planning and then construction. And the notion that it would be part of operations has almost been an afterthought. And yet here we are coming along saying our operations, a key part of them for many agencies, should be sustainable. So we have to plug in with our operations to the whole, uh, the other parts of, of the agency. We have a very good friend, in fact, he's chair of the Winter Maintenance Subcommittee for APWA, uh, Dan Shocker from Alaska, and his wife also works for Alaska DOT, but she's on the planning and construction side of things, and they give a very interesting presentation about the various problems that one group can cause the other. Uh, so, <laughs> and I imagine when it's all in the family, those problems go, go deeper than maybe we want to explore today. Well, they, they, what they call that presentation, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. <laughs> so, it's, one of the great photos that Dan has is a, a pickup truck full of um, marking tape that his plows pulled off the road because. Nobody told them that they were putting down new striping tape on the road, and it didn't stay down when the plows plowed it. And, uh, you know, that was a waste of money. So, And I think one of the things that this also brings up is when, when some of these issues became more prevalent, when, when we were talking more and more about sustainability and, you know, perhaps within an agency or, or something, somebody said... Well, what are we doing? Why, why, you know, are we pre-wetting? Are we anti-icing? Are we doing some of the things that we should be doing? And, you know, the question here is, did you implement an entire program? Or do you have 30 trucks and one of them is pre-wetting? Are you really pre-wetting then? You know, and, and the same thing happens with anti-icing and some of these other things that, you know, there is a point of building a program or doing something, but 
sometimes people will implement something and say they're doing it just to meet the, the fact to say, oh, yeah, we're sustainable. We, we did this without really looking at are you really doing it. Is it a system-wide program? Is it something that you've actually implemented and are working at and uh, are really trying to achieve, or is it just, well, you know. It, we have won Trump with it. Yeah, yeah. we, we, we yeah. can say we did it. We, we, yeah. We've <laughs> checked that box. Checked right the box, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so number four then, and, and you started talking about it a yeah. little bit there, Mark. Number four is many best practices do contribute to a positive, sustainable uh, practices, uh, but we really shouldn't, we really shouldn't confuse best practices operationally versus best practices from a sustainable point of view. So it's like we, you know when you're talking about um, calibration and uh, using uh, um, uh, environmentally sound uh, chemical application rates and and things like that. Those those certainly are our best practices that lead to sustainability. But um, you know when you look at them in total, there's there's opportunities for them to overlap. There's there are good best practices that are also sustainable practices. Yeah, I I think that's that's right. We don't want to get overly hung up either on best practices because that if you say something's the best, there's an implication there that everyone should do it. And that turns around and goes slap dab up against the notion that one size does not fit all. There are going to be agencies where it's simply not appropriate for them to apply chemicals on the road because, you know, maybe by the side of the road there are irrigation canals for their fruit trees that they grow in that county or whatever it might be. In that circumstance, you don't want either chemicals or sand going into that irrigation canal. You're going to have a white road. You're going to plow it. And that'll be it. And people will know. Um, so, you know, is that best practice? No, best practice would say we get back to bare pavement. But best sustainable practice for them, taking into account the societal and the economic issues, is no, we leave that road snow-covered because that makes sense for us in our particular case. Number five on the list is, is something that help people begin to think about sustainability, and that's utilizing uh, sustainability tools. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of uh, opinion out there about <laughs> some of the sustainability tools that, that exist, but, but there are tools, right? And in fact, APWA has, has a tool to, to right. help agencies Absolutely. down the sustainability yeah. path. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that you can look at here again is what we mentioned earlier, the excellence in Stone Ice Award. I think what this really comes down to is gaining knowledge, educating yourself about what things are out there and what things are we doing and what things are other people doing and what things would make sense for us to implement and could it lead us to a more sustainable operation. And and as we've said, not everything is going to fit every single agency. But where do you start? Where where do you look at? What things are out there? And, And there are many things that we call best practices or programs that you can implement, um, different things that you might might consider you should be doing that you're not doing today. So you can start, and, and one of them, again, if you look just at the APWA Excellence in Snow and Ice Award, the agencies that are doing this have implemented newer technologies, they've implemented new programs, they've 
they certainly become a model for people to look at. And, and the, just just going through the award, if you looked at the award and the categories that are there, you could say, are we doing this? Aren't we doing this? It, it, you know, again, it doesn't necessarily, and again, doing it means, are we doing it or have we implemented it? I think there's two different things there that, that you're yeah. really looking at. Is it a, is it something that is a, not just a, uh, is it a sustainable program is what you're really trying to get to. So. Yeah. And, and I think, um, as we've alluded to earlier, most of the sustainability stuff is aimed either at planning or at projects, construction projects. There is uh, a tool, Invest, that the Federal Highway Administration has put together. You go through that, and there are several hundred questions, and I think a grand total of four of them apply to winter maintenance issues. It's clearly not designed to help you figure out how sustainable your winter maintenance program is. It's a system-wide umbrella. If you want to dig down into that a little more uh Deeply, there is the the APWA Snow and Ice Award, the Salt Institute. We have uh, a safe and sustainable snow fighting award program. Any agency can go and get the checklist, and it's one of these checklists. Do you do this? Do you do that? Do you do the other? And you can go through and see. And our goal with that is again not that everyone should do everything, but that an agency is thinking about all these things because the first step in sustainability is learning to think about sustainability and that's probably the most important tool of all now number six on the list is a new you guys started to hit number six on the list is recognize success stories Mm -hmm. yeah again i think that when when we put something together like a, a Salt Institute Award or APWA Award or any award that's out there. The idea here again is is certainly the agency should be proud of what they're doing, but it's also a model for others. And how do we share that experience? How do we how do we get that message out to others that what they're doing has benefited their village, their town, their their state, whatever it would be. Um, it's benefiting their users, and it actually fits perhaps a little better with the other two parts of the stool that you know they, they found these balances perhaps by implementing these we've actually reduced our budget in, in some way or staying within our budget better perhaps we've actually served our people better so um, I, I think again anytime that there are successes and they can be just a very minimal success I think one of the great stories we have is calibration yes I mean <laughs> calibration successes are amazing people really and this is something that costs virtually nothing. You you just have to take the time to calibrate trucks. And people don't understand what an impact that can make, how much of a difference it can make. And, and I'll let even Wolf tell the story of one of these if he wants to. Do you think we yeah. can name them? No, no. No, just, I no, will no, 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 just a, an agency we once taught. <laughs> right. So an agency we once taught mm-hmm. uh, went through our day-long certificate supervisor certificate training program where we do stress the issue of calibration and decided they would go back to the yard and start calibrating and the first step they did was they asked whoever drove a given truck well you know what setting do you use and how much salt do you think you're putting out at that setting 
and they got a range of answers, as you would would expect. Then they did the calibration at those settings, and and the, the general goal for these trucks was, I think, four hundred pounds a lane mile, right? In that lower area, they, yeah. they they at least thought that's where they were at. Right, so. and what the first one was about four five hundred and sixty three on the first one, and over thirteen hundred. Oh, boy. Per lane mile on the second one. Yeah. But, but the, the wind... I bet he was getting results. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> the, the, the wind here immediately, and, and this, this after calibrating, they, they determined after one winter, they saved $75,000, and, and that material didn't wind up in the environment, right? So it's a win for the agency. It's a win for the environment in that situation. More than that, it's a win not just this year, but every year from now on. Because right. now they know how important calibration is, and they'll be doing it. And um, yeah, again, this isn't it, the program they've implemented is we're going to do calibrating, and, yeah. and it's that simple. And so, you know, that that makes them a more sustainable agency. Yes, they, right, absolutely. Okay, and and so the last one, number seven, I, I think is is something that's that's really important, and and that is that you can always become more sustainable. And, and I guess the, the, the analogy there is sustainability is not a destination, but it's a journey. Yes, <laughs> yes, and we're all on the journey. Um, and, and, you know, you take the example of this agency that took calibration as their first step. Well, there's a double bonus here. First of all, they, they gained hugely from this um, to the tune of about $75,000, yeah. they said. All right, well, they're now also encouraged to think in terms, well, what else did they suggest we might do? Oh, yeah, maybe it'll be pre-wetting they think of next. How are we going to pay for it? Oh, we just saved $75,000. We've got money that would allow us to pay for this. So you, you then, you know, you begin and you, to, to borrow a phrase from, from our good friend Lee Smithson, you go for the low-hanging fruit, right? Um, but again, if you look at the the agencies that are really performing, that are out there and doing the really great things, none of them that I am aware of are sitting there saying, hey, we're done. They're all saying, well, what can we do next? You know, the city of West Des Moines, great leader. They've said, all right, not all of our folk are going to be fully comfortable with every route they're driving, so we're going to give them turn-by-turn directions in the can. Uh, you look at Iowa DOT, which had done great things on controlling application rates and so on and so forth. They've now got their tracker plow program where you can see where all that, anyone can see where all their trucks are and a good number of them, if not all of them, have photos taken within the last five minutes when they're out dealing with the storm. So, you know, you, you're always improving. You catch the improvement book. And I think one goal, and, and I'm going to stretch and mangle a metaphor here horrendously, but one goal of beginning sustainability is to inoculate people with the sustainability bug so they go on and keep on getting more sustainable. And, and I think, too, in, in every single agency, there'll be opportunities. And opportunities are when you really need to look at things of what can we change, what can we do. 
you know, that, that should you be building a new shed somewhere or doing something like that? How can we make it the most sustainable thing? At that point, can we incorporate so many things that probably would be very difficult to retrofit, but if we were doing something new, you could do it. When you get new equipment, this is the opportunity to outfit it that way and, and put that new technology and things in there. You look for those opportunities, they're there every year. And and even, as Wolf said, in the very, the very best agencies that are out there, the ones that are the great models for everybody to look at, they're always looking to try to do the next thing. And so I think that 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 makes, you know, it's the example that you're looking for. Yeah. Well, great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us here on Psychop Talks Winter Ops. It's been it's been great having you all uh, talk about uh, your thoughts about sustainability and and how it fits into the grand scheme of winter maintenance. And uh, look forward to having you on some future episodes. Well, thank you. Thank great you very fun. much. Great to be here. Yeah. And thanks for listening as Psychop Talks Winter Ops. So how was that? Mm-hmm. That was good.